turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. We are having a uh, kind of a special thing after service today, so don't run off. We have a couple tables outside um, that are for you, um, as well as some treats to keep you around for a little longer, Um, but uh, I'll give you some more detail after the sermon about that, but please uh, just make sure and and stick around afterwards. It should be a, a sweet time of just hanging out and fellowshipping. All right, Acts chapter 11. This morning we are focusing our attention on the church in Antioch today. The church in Antioch. Um, I want to read... Oh boy, I'll, I'll, read, I'll, I'll read 11, 19 to 30. And that'll get us going. So then... Those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, the Jews about them, excuse me, excuse me, the the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch, who, when he arrived and saw the grace of God, rejoiced and began to encourage them all with, with a purposeful heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a considerable crowd was brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it happened that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a considerable crowd. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now in those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And as any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the service of the brothers living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. The title of this sermon is Missions and the Local Church. Missions and the Local Church. My desire this morning, dear saints, is each of you, individually would seek to build a healthy local church for the sake of missions. That you would seek to build a healthy local church, Redeemer Bible Church, for the sake of missions. You know, there's one national church planting network that's pretty well known to us. It boasts that it has planted over 10,000 churches since 2010. 
And, you know, people get all excited. That's a huge number, over 10,000 churches since 2010. However, that association also tells us that the same amount, if not more churches, have closed their doors since 2010. Why is this? Why is this? Why is there on one page such excitement over uh, so many church plants and so much money and funding going to church plants? Yet, if we dig a little deeper, the reality is that churches are dying. Well, I believe... A couple of reasons. One reason is a low view of the waters of baptism. People just get baptized because they throw a pine cone in the fire and commit something at, at, at summer camp or something like that. Or, or they raise their hand during a prayer and now they're a Christian. And so they get baptized. That's a low view of baptism. It's a low view of regeneration and salvation. I also believe, though, that one of the causes of this is a low view of the local church. There's a low view of the local church. So often there seems to be an excitement and energy that surrounds church planting and even global missions. All the while, at the same time, attitudes of boredom and apathy surround your average local church. Our Lord Jesus Christ has no such division in his mind when he speaks of his kingdom. Global missions, church planting, and the local church are all part of the kingdom of Christ. And he doesn't have a division like that in his mind where he's really excited about this, this other stuff, but, you know, well, we got to keep local churches going if we can. There's not a part of Christ's kingdom that is a kind of necessary evil. Christ does not tolerate the local church. He cherishes and loves her. So today we will see the importance of the local church in relation to our global mission. So here at Redeemer Bible Church, we seek to be a healthy church and a sending and supporting church. Those are our two points this morning. A healthy church and a sending, supporting church. Both of these things are almost definitions of themselves. A healthy church is a sending and supporting church. And a sending supporting church is a healthy church. But we want to see these things from the pages of Scripture. I want to prove it to you. First of all, a healthy church. God uses uh, in missions, in global missions, God uses a healthy church. First and foremost, he doesn't use trailblazers. He doesn't use simply just men divorced from the church. He uses healthy churches for his global mission. 
So what are the marks of a healthy church? Well, I believe that we see a number of, of distinctives of what it means to be a healthy church in this passage, Acts 11, 19 to 30. And we're going to move on to another, a couple other passages to look at ascending and supporting church because the story, the narrative comes back around and, uh, and, and uh, comes back around to the church in Antioch. And so we're going to see this ongoing ministry of sending and supporting. But first of all, there's this foundation of a healthy church in this passage. The first mark of a healthy church is, it is, is that it is a church that is proclaiming the gospel. Acts 11, 19 to 21. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. We see from these verses that it is God's zeal and passion that the glory of Christ would reach all people groups of all nations. And when the local church does not faithfully get on board with that mission, with that zeal of God, what we see here is God knows how to nudge us and to move us, to force us at times to evangelize. We see that in verse 19. The only reason that, that believers came to Antioch which was, which was a far region uh, from Jerusalem. The only reason Christians were there was because they were scattered. And they were scattered because of the persecution. So people died and were in the church, and, the, and people that were claiming the name of Christ were persecuted. Some even were, were killed for their faith. So that other Christians would be forced to pick up and move and go somewhere else. So that the gospel could go there. What we see up to this point in the narrative of Acts is the church wasn't going. It was evangelizing and it was growing. Praise the Lord. There was salvation happening. But it was time for the next phase. It was time for the gospel to go to the nations. And they weren't doing it. Remember, Jesus at the beginning of Acts commissioned the church to be his witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way to the remotest parts of the earth. They stopped mid-sentence. They stopped mid-mission. And so God sent persecution so that they would go in obedience. I don't know about you, but uh, if I can, I would like to avoid persecution. I would like to avoid being forced by God to move and bring the gospel to people around me. 
Trust me, dear saint, it is much easier for you to just live in obedience and to follow the command of Christ to bring the gospel to those around you than for him to force you into situations where you have to. But he is so zealous. What's, what's amazing is God is so zealous, so passionate for the glory of Jesus Christ to be spread that he's willing that some of his beloved sheep would die and be persecuted to accomplish that zeal. Does that strike you? That he is willing to discipline the church so that we get in line and, and obey him in this honor, in this privilege to bring the gospel to, to those around us. So, let's, let us get out of our comfort zone and evangelize to those around us before God has to force us by some inconvenience or persecution or pain. A healthy church is an evangelistic church, a church that proclaims the gospel. Verse 20, this is what they did. Well, notice in, in, in verse uh, 19, they, they made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But some of them began speaking to the Greeks also. This was the purpose of God. This was God's intent. It's not enough for us to faithfully teach our children, though that is essential and not an option. It's not enough. We must to go to those who have not yet been reached with the gospel. That's what we see in the, in the contrast between first the gospel going to the Jews alone in Antioch and then to the Greeks also. An application of that principle for us is, yes, share the gospel with your children, but also with your neighbor. Share the gospel in the church, but also in the streets. That's how we fulfill this. And when the gospel is proclaimed, dear church, the hand of the Lord is with us. Notice, it is only here when, the, when they were proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus to the Greeks also, in verse 20, that in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned the, turn to the Lord. God is with, Christ is with an evangelizing church. That means he is not with a stale, ingrown, self-concerned, self-promoting, non-evangelistic church. He's just not. What kind of church is it that, is, that hides its light? What kind of church is it that says it proclaims, but nobody hears the proclamation of the gospel? No, dear church, Christ promised in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And we see part of that being accomplished here in our passage. 
He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I was listening to a preacher this week uh, speaking about that, about that promise of Christ. And he says, you know, we often translate that, interpret that as a defensive kind of force. That, you know, we're, Christ will build the church and, and, and uh, the, the world and, and the enemy is going to try and take down the church. But we got good, strong walls. We have good defenses. That's partly true. But the emphasis, he said, was it's more offensive than defensive. It is that the reign of Christ, the walls of the kingdom will spread further and further and further into the world and nothing will hold it back. That's the point. Do you believe that? Is that how you're living your Christian life? That I am here as a light and I'm here as an ambassador of Christ in the middle of San Jose and, and it's just, well, as long as I don't fail and as long as the church doesn't fold and the walls stay up of the church in San Jose, then, then that's a success. No, it's not. It must spread. The kingdom of Christ must spread. Why? Because it's the name of Christ that must spread. That's why. And Christ promises, nothing will stop me. Nothing will stop me. That means if he is working through you, and if he chooses to save through you, nothing can stop him. So share the gospel. Proclaim it to those around you. Be a light. Nothing can stop God, if he wills, to save through you. Let's take him at his word. A healthy church is a proclaiming church, a gospel-proclaiming church. A healthy church is also a church that is loyal to Christ. A church that is loyal to Christ. Verses 22 to 24. Now the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch, who, when he arrived, saw the grace of God, rejoiced, and began to encourage them Encourage them all with a purposeful heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a considerable crowd was brought to the Lord. You know, in church planting or in evangelism or whatever else, in the, in the work of the kingdom, in, in gospel ministry, initial excitement is not enough. Initial excitement and zeal is not enough. A healthy church, a healthy local church, must be loyal to Christ. True to the Lord, it says. And we see here just an encouraging kind of detail in verse 22 that other, that other churches around the area, even Jerusalem, all the way back in Jerusalem, they hear about what's going on in Antioch and, they, and they're excited and they're encouraged and they want to help. How encouraging it is to connect with other local churches around us. And I think we experience that as a, as a local body. Churches like Trinity Bible Church of Morgan Hill. Creekside Bible Church in Cupertino. Of course, Community Bible Church in Vallejo. And more. We ought to lean into those relationships. 
uh, seize opportunities to be with them. If there's a conference or if there's uh, uh, some sort of training that they have that we don't have or we have that they don't have, to have that cross, uh, that cross uh, uh, ministry, that cross town uh, ministry to one another. And this happens just practically whenever we have a guest preacher. I choose very specifically who will fill this pulpit. And I don't take that lightly. And the men that I have come here know that. And so I only, tr- I only have trusted men fill this pulpit. Men from local churches that I have no problem connecting us with. And so when they come, it's family visiting. It's friends visiting. It's like Barnabas coming to us. There should be a a welcoming atmosphere to them. We we should be a source of encouragement and friendship to these brothers that come and minister to us. But what we see here, the purpose of Barnabas' visit is to encourage them to remain loyal to Christ. And oh, how the local church is tempted to compromise and tempted towards disloyalty to Christ. Especially when all the excitement and vigor of a new church has gone. We need to be reminded. Oh, no, you signed up for something here. You enlisted into something here. You have to be loyal to the one who enlisted you. That is Jesus Christ. We are in need of continual, ongoing reminding and encouragement to remain true to the Lord. That's what Barnabas did in verse 23. When he arrived, saw the grace of God, rejoiced. But he didn't stop there, right? He didn't say, oh, that's great. You guys are doing great. I'll see you next time. No, he knew what they needed. He knew in them, once that vigor and that excitement of newness faded, he knew that they needed to remain true to the Lord. To not veer to the left or to the right. To not let the the foot come off the, the accelerator pedal, as it were. But with a purposeful heart, he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord. To stick with Christ, as it were. To stay with Jesus is the idea. To don't, don't let him go. Don't wander from him. Stay close to Christ. And what we see in the passage is that this ongoing loyalty to Christ in the local church is actually part of what is used by God to draw others to the church. Notice... Again, in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. That's the initial evangelism. That's the initial church growth at the beginning of, of this church in Antioch. But, how, but did it just stop there? No. It kept growing. Because notice, uh, after he encouraged them in verse 23, at the end of verse 24, and a considerable crowd was brought to the Lord. So again, more people were saved. More people came to that church because it was a strong, healthy church that was loyal and true to Christ. How do you grow a church? How do you build a church? You just stay true to Christ. 
It's nothing fancy. You might notice we don't have anything fancy here. We have Christ. That's all we need. And He is His own attraction. He will draw people. So church, if I can address you, you are doing well, dear church. But don't stop now. Do not stop now. Don't let up. Now is not the time to ease off of the accelerator. Now is not the time to put it into cruise control. Now is the time, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, to excel still more. You're doing well, Redeemer Bible Church. Excel still more. Why? Because there's more souls to be saved. There's more work to be done. A healthy church is a church that is loyal to Christ. A healthy church is also a church that is rooted in truth. Rooted in truth. Verse 25 and 26. And he, that is Barnabas, left for Tarsus to search for Saul. That's Paul. And when he found him, verse 26, he brought him to Antioch. And it happened that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a considerable crowd. A healthy church is a church that is saturated with the truth of the word of God. You see, in this passage, what we see here is Barnabas had to go and get backup, essentially, is the idea. I believe he, he understood that he needed, he needed help to teach this church. It was growing, and he couldn't teach all of these people on his own. He needed help. He needed another teacher. And so he goes, and he gets Saul. And both Barnabas and Saul, Saul uh, taught the word of God, it says, for an entire year. And the wording here suggests not just that they had church for a year and then they stopped. The wording here suggests that it was a specific and intense year of study and teaching. Notice the word is not preaching. It's teaching. There was the proclamation. There was the pulpit ministry happening. But there was also teaching. It's a separate word. All throughout the New Testament. And the church is called to do both. Pastors are called to do both. To preach and teach the word of God. And so there in Antioch, they underwent an intense year of study. Why only a year? Well, because there were, there were other churches that needed them. That's why. And they were, they were sent from them. But we'll get to that in, in a bit. What we see here in, in these verses is that, that there was an overwhelming hunger for the truth. So for a church to be healthy, the saints of that church must have an overwhelming hunger for the truth of Scripture. If they are to be healthy, if the church is to be healthy, the saints must crave the truth of the Word of God. 
Would you be up for this, Christian? Let me ask you. Dear saint, would you, if, if we were to start a, a year of a class, and it was intense, it was multiple times a week, maybe once or twice a week for a full year, and there was homework, and there were memory verses, and there were books to read, and there was expectations, would you sign up? Would you, would you enlist in that? A healthy Christian, a healthy church is a church that would crave for something like that. The word, you see, is our source of wisdom. It's our source of strength. It's the Christian's well of knowledge and power. It is our one and only resource of truth and vitality of soul. It is for your good that you feast on the word of God. It will give you wisdom, strength, knowledge, power, truth, and all vitality of soul. And the first step of to compromising and forsaking Christ is complacency. The first step to compromise and forsaking of Christ is complacency. We don't see that here in the, in the church of Antioch. We see zeal for the word of God, a hunger for the truth of doctrine. If the church is saturated with the truth of God's word, its roots will grow strong. And that church will remain true to the Lord. I think that's probably one of the only reasons we're still here. Given what we've gone through as a church, what you've gone through as a church, just the fact that you are in the Word and you were planted in the Word, that's the only reason we're still around. So what about the years to come? Those roots don't just keep you planted, but they cause you to grow. So dear saint, love the Word, crave for the Word. And you in your own personal life and the church corporately what we will see that great, is that great power and great stability will be found in the Word of God. As it says in Psalm 1, 3, that you will be like a tree planted by streams of water. And your roots will go down deep and you'll find everything that you need at any time, any situation, any season of life. Your roots are still there by the water. And no matter what comes your way, you're growing and you're thriving and you're bearing fruit. Even if the fruit is simply persevering, you're bearing fruit. That will not happen without the Word of God. But what's wonderful is that as we remain grounded in Scripture, as we remain grounded in the truth of the Word of God, God uh, 
strengthens us, gives us power, and gives our church stability. And even in your life, Christian, the Word of God it will be like an ever-flowing stream of life for your soul and for your life here on earth. So sink your roots deep into the Word. Draw from it all sustenance that you need every day. It's there for you. God wants to supply you. He's provided all you need. Just get in the Word. One uh, commentator, one theologian actually said, uh, Christianity, once established, was its own best missionary. It grew naturally from within. It attracted people by its very presence. Every congregation was a missionary society. Every Christian believer a missionary, inflamed by the love of Christ to convert his fellow man. That must be us. We must seek to build a healthy local church for the sake of missions. A couple other marks of a healthy church here at the end of this passage. One is that a, a healthy church is a church that is rejected by the world. A church that is rejected by the world. We see this in the last few words of verse 26. It says, And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. A healthy church will inevitably become a persecuted church. That's just the reality of it. You see, the term Christian here was not first used by Christians to talk about themselves. They tended to like the terms believers, disciple, or brother. This word, Christian, is what the unbelievers called the church. And it was a way back then of labeling that group with a sense of mocking little Christs or followers of Christ. But they didn't realize that that's exactly what, they, what, they, what their identity was. Their identity was in Christ. They're not little Christ, but their identity is in Christ. They are followers of Christ. They are loyal to Him. So the name fits. And what this tells us is that other groups, especially Jews of the day, other groups of people wanted to distance themselves from these people. And so they gave them a different name. And said, oh, that's the Christian. I'm not a Christian. They gave them the name so that they could isolate themselves from that group. That's persecution. Soft persecution, but persecution nonetheless. If the church bears the name of Christ and lives in obedience to him, while some may be drawn to the church, of course, by that testimony, many in the world will reject us. Remember, John 15, 20, if, if the world hated Christ, they will hate us. A slave is not above his master. A disciple is not above his teacher. We are not above Christ. 
And so we ought to expect exactly what he received from the world. Rejection. Isolation. Avoidance. And part of this is when that happens, we know we're doing something right. We don't seek it out. We don't try and force it and cause it. Some people try and do that on Twitter and whatever else. We don't try and stir up strife. But when we speak the truth and we're condemned for it, then you're probably doing something right. So let us stand fast as we stand for Christ, church. And not sway when rejection by the world comes. Because it's coming, especially in this state and in this region. It's it's going to come more and more. The last mark of a healthy church in this passage is in verses 27 to 30. What we see here is that a healthy church is a church that is overflowing with generosity. In other words, a healthy church is a giving church. And what we see in verses 27 and 28 is that since uh, this was still the early church, still the time of the apostles, it was still a time for new revelation and prophecy. So this isn't a template for us today. We don't get our weather forecast from prophets. I mean, these guys that you know, try and tell us the weather that's coming. Uh, there's every other word that you can use for them besides prophet because it's, I mean, they're just guessing and it never comes true, does it? But nonetheless, uh, today we don't look for prophets, we don't have prophets or apostles because there's no new revelation. But this was a special time in history, in the early church, where they didn't have the scripture written. They didn't have revelation transcribed down for them to refer back to. And so they had to have people stand up, apostles stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. I can stand up here and say, thus saith the Lord today, and then I begin to read the Bible. That's the difference. But nonetheless, in this age, there was a time of apostles and prophets, and so there was the prophet Agabus who stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine all over the world, that is, the, the population, you know, their region, and this did take place in the reign of Claudius, it says. And as soon as they heard about this, in verse 29 and 30, as soon as uh, the need was known, what we see here is that the church responded with care and generosity. And notice that it is the church that cares for the church. It is the children of God who help the children of God. I'm not saying that it's a sin or it's wrong to give to the Red Cross or to the Salvation Army or to some hurricane support or whatever else. I'm not saying that that's wrong or a sin. That's actually a noble thing. But the priority lies on the church. Don't give to those things if you're not giving to the church. Why? Because the church will care for the church. We must have a heart for one another, a heart for the kingdom of God. And notice, 
that uh, the great famine happened all over the world, right? It was not exclusive to the church. The church wasn't the only group of people that experienced the famine, was it? But who did they send the, the help to? The church. So you see, though there are many needs, the church's needs, and the, when I say the church, I don't mean the organization. I mean the people of the church's needs. Because the church is the people. The saints' needs ought to be the focus of our care and attention. They understood, the church in Antioch understood the importance of the local church, specifically the church of Jerusalem, which was another local church. And the church in Antioch, that local church, heard about the need of the church of Jerusalem, the other local church, and, and knew that if there was no Jerusalem church, then the gospel would be hindered from going out. Right? If there's no local church... There's no sending and supporting of missions, is there? Right? I mean, have, have, we, have you thought about that? If we don't exist, who's going to help these brothers that we're praying for? It's one less group of people supporting them financially and with prayer. If we don't exist, they suffer. And so, this is reflected, if we can get as practical as this, this is reflected in your giving. Your giving ought to make sure that this church stands. And that we can just pay the bills and keep ministry going. Why? Not for our sakes. But because these other brothers across the world are counting on us. You see? We must stand. We must remain. We must endure for the sake of the gospel around the world. Therefore, it says in 2 Corinthians 9, each one must do as he has purpose in his heart. 2 Corinthians 9 is a passage that's all about giving to the local church and missions. It says, each, each one must do as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace abound to you, so that in everything and every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So, a, a couple principles, and we'll move on here. Christian, you must determine in your own heart how much you will give to Christ. That's between you and the Lord. I have no idea how much you give, and I, won't, and I keep it that way purposefully. I block myself from that information. Because that's between you and, and Christ. Your giving is an act of worship to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you hear me? Your giving is an act of worship to Christ. Just as much as you worship Him through your singing, you worship Him through your giving. You're communicating, Lord, you're worth this and more. 
This is just a fraction of what I have to give. After all, think about it. If, if your giving is only to put food on my table and to keep the lights on here and so that the pastor can live, why does the pastor give? Right? The pastor gives because the pastor, pastor needs to worship too. Right? It's an act of worship. It has nothing to do with need. It has nothing to do with how well the, the, the guy did in his talk that Sunday. It has nothing to do with, well, you know, um, I don't think they need that much, so I'll give them this much. The need of the church is not directly corresponding to how much worship Christ deserves, is it? So if your, uh, if your giving is an act of worship, then as 2 Corinthians 9-7 says, you purpose in your own heart to give to the Lord out of cheerfulness, out of delight for Christ. Think about your love for Christ and how much you, how much you enjoy Him. And then you think about how much you ought to give. And just remain faithful to that. Though bills come and expenses come and go, remain faithful to that work. Why? Because each month he's worthy of your worship. Right? He's not less worthy when the bills are tight. He's not less worthy when it's summertime. Or when I have to spend money on Christmas gifts. He's still worthy. And you, have, you ought to have purposed, determined in your own heart how much you're going to give to him. And that's your vow to your Lord. And the passage goes on in 2 Corinthians 9, in verse 8. It says, God is able to make every grace abound to you so that in everything, at every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Why do you get raises? Why do you get paychecks? Why do you prosper at work? So that you would grow in abundance for every good deed. God gives to you so that you would give to him. That's the reality of it. God gives to you so that you would build his kingdom, not your own. And then in, in one more note, uh, 2 Corinthians 9.12, a little farther down in that passage, it says, For the ministry of this service is not, fully supplying the, is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. When he says the ministry of this service, he's still talking about giving. And he says the ministry of this service of giving. The word there for service is liturgy. It comes from the word used for priestly worship, temple worship. That's how we know that giving is an act of worship. It's between you and God. And remember, if there's no local church, then there's no sending, there's no supporting of missions. We need to be a healthy church in order that our dear brothers across the seas would be supported. We need to be a healthy church and to endure so that those around us in this city would hear the gospel. So, 
Dear church, seek to, help, seek to build a healthy church for the sake of missions. I'm out of time. The second point is, is that we are to be ascending and supporting church. And I'll just say a couple words and, and we'll end here. What we see as the narrative of Acts go on is that in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, that local church developed leaders. It had a list of names of men who were teaching and preaching the word of God. So a healthy church is a church that develops leaders. And they were busy with kingdom work there in Antioch. And as a result of that, they, were, uh, they became a sending church. They actually sent Paul and Barnabas together as a team to go and plant other churches, to go and spread the gospel. This was the eve of Paul's first and second missionary journey. He was sent by the church in Antioch. That healthy church launched these guys out. And what's amazing is, out of all the people that they could have let go, they gave their best. That's amazing to me. And so, church, that's my goal for you and I. Is that we would become so healthy, so strong, that we train up leaders. Not to keep them for ourselves. Though that would be nice. But even... To send them into deeper into the, into the San Jose area or across the world. Who knows where? That should be the goal of our ministry here. We want to get to the place where we can start sending people out and sending our best. And then as the, 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 the narrative of Acts goes on, what we see is after Paul and Barnabas were sent away, we come to Acts 14, verse, to Acts 14, and it says here, at the end of Acts 14, 24 to 28, uh, verse 26, from there they sailed to Antioch, from where they have been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Church, that means that the church of Antioch was healthy all, all the way to the point where they sent people away to do mission, to plant churches, to do the missionary work in the unreached peoples. And while they were gone, the local church in Antioch endured. They kept going. They kept prioritizing, uh, proclaiming the gospel, being loyal to Christ, rooted in truth, though rejected by the world, and overflowing with generosity. They kept on being a healthy church. Because we, and we know that because Paul came back. And there was still a church to come back to. He came back after his first missionary journey here. He came back again after his second missionary journey in Acts 18.22. We have a, a, a record 
of the enduring local church of Antioch. May there be a record of this church, an enduring local church, where missionaries are supported long-term, where they have a place to come back to year after year after year, and when they come here, they get recharged. And it says at the very end, Acts 14, 28, they spent not a little time with the disciples. I love that. There is a gospel partnership between us and these missionaries that we support. There is a brotherly friendship with them. So a healthy sending and supporting church is a church that is a place of rest for these men. A place of encouragement and rejuvenation for for the missionary. However much time was spent there in Antioch, it was not a little time. That's the point. Paul and his team lingered there because there was a sense that they were welcome there. So church, when a missionary or a preacher from other churches or other nations visits us, it is our joy and honor to make them feel welcome here. Not simply introducing yourself to them and then moving on. That's not welcoming. It's introducing yourself and staying and having a genuine conversation. May we do that for the missionaries and the preachers that visit us. May we do that to the visitor that comes through our doors. It's not enough that they know your name and you know theirs. They need Christ. They need you to give them Christ. That means you've got to ask them questions. You've got to get to know them. You've got to have them in your home. You've got to be hospitable. A friend of strangers. Whether they're saved or they're missionaries. May this church be a healthy church. A place where people come to find rest in Christ. Stand with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, being with this church for all of these years. Thank you for continuing to uh, root us and ground us in your word. I pray, Lord, that we would remain faithful to Christ, that we would remain hungry for the word of God, that we would remain an evangelistic church. Oh, Lord, reach the lost through us. There are so many people that have never even heard of the name of Christ living right next door, just down the street. They're all over. Oh, God, give us a heart for the lost. Give us a zeal for the glory of Christ. May that be the motivation that compels us to go. And Lord, I pray for this church that you would continue to grow us, that we would excel still more in these things, even to the point where we can start sending people out. Oh God, what a joy that would be. I anticipate that day. I believe that you'll do it, Lord. And so we press on with that mission, that goal in mind. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing.